Let's have a little word of prayer before we open the word today. Our Father, we are hungry. We are hungry for your word. So we pray that you would feed us with the bread of life. We're thirsty. We pray that you might give us the water of life. Lord, may your Holy Spirit, the author of your word, speak to us, illuminate us as we look at this tremendous truth concerning who Emmanuel really is and what he really came to do. Undertake, we pray, by your Holy Spirit to work out your will in my life as I speak and in the lives of your people as they hear and as they listen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I've entitled our message for today, The Incarnation, Emmanuel in His Grip. Actually, it's a two-part message because I'll be speaking, Lord willing, next Lord's Day as well. We want to look at who Emmanuel really is and what was the purpose for his coming. Today, we're going to look at Emmanuel, who he is. Because I guess you have heard, haven't you? Christmas coming. You've heard that, haven't you? Christmas is coming. The secular and commercial world and the party animals are all eagerly looking for, forward to this event with great anticipation. And whether we want to acknowledge it or not, that is what consumers have their minds consumed with every hour of the day, looking towards Christmas and what it will mean for them. But I want to remind you as God's people today that Christmas really represents not the best economic season of the year, but rather it represents one, if not the greatest mysteries that has ever challenged the mind of man. And that is because of the fact that Christmas is really the story of the incarnation of the Son of God, the eternal Son of God. It is the story of the merging of the eternal with the temporal, time with eternity, and the divine with the human. Here is the major focus we want to make in this message today. If you want to carry a home a thought, a byline, this is it. The Christmas story is not so much that Jesus was born as a baby, but rather that God came as a man and he came with a purpose. Repeat that. The Christmas story is not so much that Jesus was born as a baby, but rather that God came as a man, and he came with a purpose. That is why this is truly the greatest story ever told. And I want to encourage those of you who, I, I, I'm not sure whether you can be having a Christmas Day service again, but if you do, remember it was the focus is to tell the old, old story to our children. Well, I encourage you, don't focus too much on the wise men and the animals in the cradle, but focus on the truth that this is a great mystery, awesome, amazing event that happened, that God became a man. And that's what we are celebrating. Now, in spite of the fact that we have actually allowed the traditional, the consistent emphasis on the secular to mold our thinking in such a way that the mystery 
of the incarnation has been lost in our celebration, still I think Christmas is something that we should celebrate. Many people who like to downplay Christmas, we shouldn't celebrate it. It's a pagan event and all of that kind of thing. But listen, I don't actually believe that December the 25th is the birthday of Jesus Christ. In fact, no one actually knows for sure what the exact date was in which Jesus, on which Jesus was born. Four major dates have been suggested by scholars in modern times. March the 5th, April the 20th, May the 20th, or January the 6th. Now, it is my considered opinion after studying this particular issue that the most likely date appears to be March the 5th. We won't go into all of that now. Scripture nowhere, of course, admonishes us, encourages us to celebrate the birthday of Jesus Christ. His death, yes. Birthday, no. But that doesn't mean that it's wrong to do it. I don't know if you remember, if you know this, but in the 16th century, it was actually against the law to celebrate Christmas in England. You could actually be fined and put in jail if you celebrated Christmas in your home. That's how some people thought about Christmas. But the fact is this. Jesus was born, wasn't he? And certainly, it is not wrong or unbiblical to celebrate this tremendous event, his coming into the world. However, I believe that it is important for us to focus on the true significance of Christmas. Not even the gift-giving, not even the getting together with families that seem to have overshadowed the true meaning of Christmas, the fact that God became a man. That's what it's all about. That's why I don't believe we only have to put Christ back into Christmas. But I believe we need also to put sin back into Christmas. You see, Christ would not have a need to die if there was no sin. And if he had no need to die, then he would have no need to be born as a man. It is that truth that we want to emphasize this morning. Because I say again, Christmas deals with the incarnation. And the incarnation deals with the coming of God himself into the world as a human being. And my friends, he did that while remaining to be God. And that's a mystery. Something we cannot explain but it is true nonetheless. So I say again, the Christmas story is not so much that Jesus was born as a baby, but rather that God came as a man, and he came with a purpose. Now I want to go to the Word this morning, and I hope you have your Bibles. We'll show it on the screen as well, I believe, yes. We'll be showing it on the screen as well. You can turn to Hebrews chapter 2. But I want to go to the Word today. You know, now that I am retired and that I am emeritus, I have a lot of time to watch TV and listen to preachers. And that's what I do. And it amazes me. I become more sad every time I listen to a preacher. And I don't care who it is, except one. Except one. 
You know why? In most cases, 90% of the time, you can remove the Bible verses they use and you can still, wouldn't do anything to their message. They could preach their message and don't use the scriptures at all and say the same thing they're saying. There's no clear exposition of the word of God. People take their, their own preconceived ideas, then look for scripture to support it rather than taking the truth from the word. Well, I want to challenge you today, after you leave here, tell me if you could do that with my message, that you could remove the scriptures and have the same thing said. I challenge you to do that. Could you examine messages today like that as well? Listen to the preachers. And then take out all the scripture references and see whether or not it would affect their message. In most cases, it wouldn't at all. Most preaching today is simply... What's the word? Motivation. That's the word. Thank you. Motiva That's what it is. And we have tremendous motivational preachers today. But they're not motivating us to get into the word or to live the word, but rather to follow their own philosophy, their own theology, their own philosophy, their own psychology. But let's go to the word now. Hebrews chapter 2. Listen to the word of Emmanuel. But we see Jesus, and friends, listen carefully now. He is the one I want you to see this morning. I want you to see in the word Jesus. I want you to hear Alan Lee. I want you to see Jesus. But we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels. That's a reference to Christmas. That's a reference to the Incarnation. We'll be dealing with this more in detail next week, Lord willing. But this tells us too, by the way, why Jesus Christ is not an angel. You know, there's the major religion that teaches that Jesus is the brother of Lucifer. He's just an angel. Well, the scripture decries that and denies that. We'll see that next time. Made a little lower than the angels, not crowned with glory, now crowned with glory and honor. Because he suffered death. Notice that. He was crowned with glory and honor, not because he was born in a manger, but because he suffered death. That's why you cannot take sin out of Christmas. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Now, that's the purpose we look at next week. That's why he came to taste death. But before he tasted death, he had to become a man in order to taste death. Because as God, he couldn't. Because God cannot die. That's why this is a paradoxical thing we're preaching about today. God was born. Are you kidding me? God being born? God died. Are you serious? But that's what the Christian truth, Christianity is based on these two great mysteries. The birth of God and the death of God. That's the purpose we'll be looking at next time, Lord willing. Verse 10. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect. Through having a good life. Through having a healthy life. To having all the money you want. Is that what it says? To suffering. 
and he's our model. Now, he did this on the cross, of course. Now, here's something, my friends, to think about this Christmas as you rush to get your gift from under the Christmas tree. Jesus came unto his own. He was the first Christmas gift, wasn't he? So when he came, he could say he was under the tree. He came as a gift. But guess what? His people rejected him. They rejected him from under the tree. At the end of their life, his life, he died on the tree. And guess what? They rejected him on the tree as well. That's his life story. Rejected as a gift under the tree. Rejected as a gift on the tree. That's what the life of Christ is all about. Both, verse 11, both the one who makes man holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. Underline that. Same family. He's my brother. He's your brother. But he's God. Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says, that's Jesus, I will declare your name to my brothers. In the presence of the congregation, I will sing your praises. Verse 13, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, notice now, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. That is Christmas. So that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That's the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Now we're going to be looking at this more in detail next time, Lord willing. But now listen to verse 16 now, because we deal again with the mystery of Christmas. For surely, surely, it is not angels he helps. I want you to take, I'm going to give you a little Bible study here. Take that word help and do a Bible study and see what it means, because that's what we're going to be looking at next week when we talk about Emmanuel, the saving grip of the Savior. We'll see it in this verse here. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants, that's you and me. For this reason, he, ha he had to be made like his brothers in every way. That's Christmas. He had to be made like his brothers in every way. And he go on later to say, except sin apart from sin. In order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Friends, this is a magnificent passage of Scripture. This is a passage of Scripture that the old English preacher would say, it's, it's pregnant with meaning. It's pregnant with meaning. It's so much truth to develop and to bring to maturity. We'll try to do some of that next time. As I said, this is a most magnificent passage of Scripture. Look into it. This is God speaking his heart and mind to her to us, to this word today. And so I hope that you hear him this morning. But now there's another passage of scripture that deals with the same truth, the same amazing truth. And I want to read it for you, and I want you to read it itself. It's Philippians chapter 2, very familiar, verses 5 through 11. Your attitude, the King James says, let this mind be in you. It means your attitude 
your thinking, your disposition. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. Isn't that an amazing thing? See, this is the challenge of Christmas. Our thinking, our disposition, our way of life is to be patterned after Jesus Christ, the one whose birth we're celebrating on the 25th. Verse 6, notice now, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, to be held on to. Now this is an amazing thing. Let me I talk about dealing with it next week, but who knows, I might be raptured and then you all wouldn't hear the message. So let me say something right here now. Uh, he did not have a need to hold on to, to grasp onto deity because he had it. He knew he was God. Now we're going to see that when he came as a man, he laid hold of man. He grasped the nature of man in order to save him. He grasped him. That's why he came to lay a hold of man. He came as a man. So he took a hold of the nature of man. So he didn't have to grasp on to deity, but he had to grasp on to humanity. You're going to see that in the mystery of this next time, Lord willing. But made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Oh, these are some precious passages. I wish I could deal with it now, but that'll take me too long, you know, and I like to preach long, right? And you all don't like me to preach long. But that's why I broke it up in two messages, so we'll, we'll bring it up next time. But being made, made himself nothing. Notice now. Made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant. That word is best translated slave. And we're going to see the import of this next time. Being made in human likeness. That's Christmas. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Every word here is pregnant with meaning. Verse 9, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. None of this would be possible if Jesus Christ was not born as a human being, as a little baby in the manger. And so the two greatest mysteries ever to challenge the mind of mortal man are to be found in the teachings of Christianity. These are the mystery of the Trinity and the mystery of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God. And so I say to you again, the Christmas story is not that Jesus came as a baby, but that God became a man. As to the Trinity, the triunity of God, who can fully or adequately comprehend the reality? None of us. How can we explain how God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, although three distinct and separate persons, are nonetheless, in essence, but one great 
almighty, powerful, omnipotent God of heaven and earth. Who can explain it? No one can. We cannot read the scriptures, however, without having this tremendous truth revealed to us time and time again. It comes across like a bolt of lightning as you turn the pages of God's infallible, inerrant word. That's why someone has well said, I believe, and I quote, you try to explain the Trinity and you lose your mind. But if you deny the Trinity, you lose your soul. See, that's why I believe no one can, no one can deliberately deny the triunity of God and be saved. Now do you say, do I have to understand that? Before I am saved? Not necessarily. You could learn it though after you save. You understand what I'm saying? But again, we wouldn't get in that part of it. Now, the triunity of God, again, is a great mystery. But it must be believed in order to be Christian. In fact, it is the basis for all other Christian beliefs and doctrine. But as I mentioned, this is not our major focus this morning. We want to focus on the other great doctrine of the Christian faith, that of the incarnation of the eternal Son of God. We want to see if we could bring to life, as it were, the true significance of that tremendous event that occurred more than 2,000 years ago, especially as it relates to us as human beings, the event that originated Christmas. Let's see if we can describe or explain the meaning of the incarnation. As I said before, of course, we cannot explain the incarnation. Perhaps we can describe it in such a way we can understand what happened in a small way on that first Christmas day. What does the incarnation mean? Simply, it means that the eternal Son of God, God himself, took on himself the human nature created by the Holy Spirit within the womb of Mary. As the eternally existent God, he added to his divine person a human nature, without diminishing his deity and without deifying his humanity. Did you understand that? Did you get all of it? Let me go over again. Because this is what Christmas is all about. All right? And as I say, I'm not here to teach or to preach my ideas, my philosophy, but the word of God. This is what we're talking about today, Christ of the word. Notice, again then, the incarnation means that the eternal son of God, God himself, took on himself the human nature created by the Holy Spirit within the womb of Mary. As the eternally existent God, he added to his divine person a human nature, without diminishing his deity and without deifying his humanity. This is a mystery. We like to think that God is perfect, isn't that right? He cannot be taken away from or added to. The triunity of God is perfect cannot be taken away from or added to. But yet, right now, we have a man in glory, seated at the right hand of God the Father, the God-man, Jesus Christ. How could that be? How could he take on a human nature and not add 
to who he already was? Well, we got all kinds of answers to that. That's because some say he was always eternally the Son of God. The Trinity always included Jesus as a man. But the scripture doesn't tell us that. But that's one of the way we logically try to explain it. But is it enough? I don't know. Satisfies me for right now. But that's the mystery. That's what Christmas is all about. Listen carefully, my brother. The author of Hebrews says this. In him, that's Jesus, dwell the fullness or the totality of Godhead in bodily form. In other words, everything that God was, Jesus was and is. Everything that God could do, Jesus could do. And we could go on and on with that. He was God in bodily form. So I say again, Jesus was and is God as a man. And Christmas is to remind us that Jesus is who? Emmanuel. God with us. God in us. And God as us. That's what Christmas is all about. Emmanuel. By the way, Emmanuel is not a name. Like Alan. Or David. Or June. Or Jane. Or, no. It's a designation of the person of God. Not his name. It tells who he is. God with us. Listen carefully. The virgin birth was not the origin of his person. But the entrance of his divine person into human life as a human being. Again, I say we can state it, but we cannot fully comprehend it as a divine mystery. A mystery of mysteries. But you say, why am I keep saying that? Then why am I preaching it if we can't understand it? Because I want in some way to encourage you to think about the greatness and the mystery of this event we call Christmas. It might lead you to celebrate it differently. It might cause you not to do some of the things you were planning on doing. It might cause you to do some things that you were not planning to do, like worship, for instance. Isn't it amazing? On some churches in the United States, they, don't, they have big sign on Christmas Day, closed today, on Christmas Day. Why is the church closed today on Christmas Day? Because they're celebrating Christmas. I mean, how more paradoxical can you get? How more stupid can you get? But yet, some of us do that in our own practice day or year after year. Someone has said, and I quote, listen carefully, the incarnation of Christ was the coming out into view of the divine basis of all that exists. It was the entrance of the Lord of history into history itself. And the manger of Bethlehem, in conjunction with Golgotha, will forever be, for all time, the turning point. Of all love, the highest point. Of all salvation, the starting point. Of all worship, the central point. But now, how in Christ, these two, his deity and his, unite, and his humanity unite in one, no one is able to explain. We still do not comprehend time. To us, it is still a riddle. It's a mystery. But yet, still less do we comprehend eternity. Truly, much more to us is this a riddle. 
then how are we expected, mere mortals, that we are to comprehend the riddle of riddles, the union of these two opposed riddles, these two opposed mysteries, these two opposed parallels, the infinite and the finite, end of quote. That's what Christmas is all about. That's the one whose birth we're celebrating. Do you understand that? The incarnation then turns our upside down thinking right side up. Think for a moment. I call this a sila moment. Jesus' people thought when he came, he would come in supremacy. Instead, he came in servitude. They thought he would come in royalty, apart from the common man. Instead, he came in humility. They thought he would come to mingle with nobility. Instead, he came to identify with the pain, the hurt, and suffering of all mankind, rich and poor alike. Like I said, we're going to elaborate on this next time, Lord willing, but I want you again to be confused with the mystery of the birth of Christ that will cause you to worship him in a better way, perhaps. So I ask you again, how can we understand this event, the incarnation? The confession of all who truly seek to understand the significance of Christmas must forever be the words of the poet. And I quote him again. When I this wonder contemplate, my spirit does in reverence wait. It worship as it views this height and confess the love of God is infinite. End of quote. John 1.17 says this. Listen carefully. You know it well. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came to Jesus Christ. You know that scripture, don't you? You know what it really means. The law gave us commands we could not keep. The law revealed our own sinfulness, told us who we were. But grace, on the other hand, gave us the one who kept the law for us perfectly. Notice the text carefully what it says. The law was what? The law was given. But grace what? Grace came. Notice that. The law was given, but grace came. That's Christmas. Paul talks about that in Titus, but the grace of God appearing to us. That's Christmas. To put it in the words of a preacher I just heard this past week. He says, and I quote him, The law told us what was in man, but grace shows us what was in God. Isn't that beautiful? The law told us what was in man, but grace showed us what was in God. That's why it says God is love. And Jesus could say, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. What love, what grace, what mercy I say to you, therefore, that the incarnation of Jesus Christ is the supreme visible evidence of God's love for us. That's an aspect of Christmas we must not forget. That's the incarnation, the meaning or the definition of it, rather. But what about the method of the incarnation? How did it come about? For this, again, we turn to the Word of God, because the Word of God is its own preacher, its own expositor. Let's read a couple of verses that tell us about the method of the incarnation. 
And afterwards, let me know if you understand it. Luke chapter 1, verse 35. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, speaking to Mary, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. No one understands what that means. No one. But that tells us exactly. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. In other words, sinless. A holy God uniting with a sinful woman producing a sinless child. Isn't that amazing? By the way, that's how the Word of God was produced as well. The Bible says that holy men were moved along by the Holy Spirit and they wrote the scriptures. Sometimes we say that the Bible is inspired. Technically, that is not true. It's the man, I'm, I'm sorry, we say that the man who wrote the Bible were inspired. Technically, that is not true. Technically, it is the words that they wrote that are inspired. The Bible says that holy men wrote as the Spirit, as they were moved along by the Holy Spirit. And as they were moved along those men, what they wrote were the words of God. The result was absolute truth. The word of God without error. Same thing. Divinity, uniting with humanity, producing divinity in the case of Christ, and absolute inerrancy in connection with the word of God. Matthew 1 verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be chi with child through the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? I've read some awful things about this. I won't go through it here. Look at verse 20, Matthew one twenty. After he had considered this as Joseph, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. These are fantastic words, amazing words, ama awesome words. But can we understand what it means for the Holy Spirit to conceive Jesus Christ in the womb of Mary? How can it be? How can this be? We can only fall at the feet of the great God, the great wise and loving God, and say, I believe, help my unbelief. That's what, Chris, that's what Christmas is to invoke with us, in us. Not just a time of frolicking and partying, I'm not putting that out, mind you, but also one of worship and wonder as we contemplate what happened, really happened in that manger so long ago. Now, you must understand that Jesus' birth was in no way miraculous. Jesus' birth was in no way miraculous. He was born or delivered in the same way you and I were born and delivered. No difference. The miracle and mystery lie with his conception. His human nature was miraculously and mysteriously formed within the Virgin Mary by the creative power of the Holy Spirit so that both the time of the conception 
At both the time of her conception and the time of the actual birth, Mary remained a virgin. Jesus Christ is a true man because he was born of a woman, but he also was true God because that which was conceived in her was of the Holy Spirit. That's Christmas, my friends. But the incarnation is also the first of three great steps taken by God to redeem man back to himself. That's why I say we cannot take sin out of Christmas. If you take sin out of Christmas, you take out the purpose and the reason for Christ coming in the first place. The other two, of course, are the crucifixion and the resurrection. We must realize and grasp the fact that, as one writer put it, and I quote, the history of salvation concentrates on the appearance of Jesus Christ as its central point. What took place before Jesus came to pass fully in anticipation of him, and what takes place after him was accomplished only in his name. End of quote. Listen carefully now. Put this together. I hope I can do it according to my thoughts. Every prophecy had its fulfillment centered in the appearance of Jesus Christ. His work on earth is the turning point of all development, and the history of his person is the essential content of all history. And in conjunction with Calvary, the manger will forever be, of all salvation, the starting point. Please remember these things as you celebrate Christmas this year. And so as a believer, I encourage you not only to read the scriptures to tell the story about the baby in the manger and the wise man, but also to read and study those passages talking about God becoming man. I guarantee you it will change the way you celebrate Christmas. That's Emmanuel, the one who came with a purpose. He came to lay a hold of man. He had no problems with his deity because he knew he was God. Next week then we'll be talking about Emmanuel in his grip part two. Or the subtitle is going to be Christmas, the saving grip of Emmanuel. And so until next week then I say to you, Sila, think and act on these things.